We're, uh, we're in Mark chapter 2 today. And uh, it's a really interesting passage that, that has to do with, with Jesus pushing back on, um, on some, um, some things the Pharisees had to say to him about fasting. And when I was first studying this, I was like, okay, this is going to end up being a sermon that really unpacks fasting. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that that really isn't the case. Because um, this is the one that deals with these metaphors of, of old cloth uh, and a, a, a new patch and old wineskins and new wineskins. And if this is kind of new, you're like, well, I, I have not heard that before. Um, then I think, I think you're really going to get something out of this uh, today. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump right into things, okay? Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you for the way that you've already directed us today. Uh, we proclaim that you are the hero, Jesus. You're the hero of our lives. You're the hero of this morning. Uh, even as we celebrate Memorial Day, and, and God, is, as Americans, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the men, the women that have given their lives um, for us, and, and we do remember, Lord. Uh, we thank you for that. Uh, but ultimately, the memorial that we really think of is the cross. Uh, that is the best of all memorial days. That's something that, tran- that, goes, that transcends uh, nationalism, Lord. It's something that transcends time and space. That on the cross, you took care of really freeing the captives. You truly battled for those that you love. And so we remember that. Every Sunday when we gather, we, we remember that. And actually every day, Lord, help us to come to the cross. Every morning when we're before our feet even touch the ground, coming out of bed, Lord, help us to remember the cross Help us to, as has been said by Jesus and, and just a, a theme of this whole book of Mark, to help us to repent and believe the gospel, to turn away from any other means for trying to find peace or joy or acceptance or love and turn away from that and believe the gospel, to believe what you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to see that you started something that was radical and it was a, a huge shift from what was known in religion in that time. And we celebrate that today, God. And, and it marries well with what today is, Lord, within the church calendar, the day of Pentecost, uh, the day in which the Holy Spirit came, the day in which it was recognized that, that God himself would live within his kids. Lord, that is a, that is a crazy concept. And it's such a tremendous one, Lord. So help us as men and women, as students, boys and girls, uh, Lord, to, uh, to go further in our faith today. Uh, transform us. We don't just need more information. We need transformation, God. Bless the kids and the adults that are discipling some of our kids upstairs, Lord. And we also pray a blessing over every church in our city, Lord, that's a gospel-centered church. It's a Christian church, God, uh, that you would raise the water level in, in our city, God, that... Uh, that you would bless the churches that are of Jesus. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you'd bring more churches to our city, that you'd birth more churches, plant more churches in our city and in our region and in our nation and all around the world, God. And thank you that we have the opportunity to do that uh, within who we are as Sojourn Church, God. And we pray you'll continue to raise raise the uh, the need, um, the the understanding, Father, that we must make disciples and we must plant churches, God, all over this world. God, may Americans send missionaries and church planters all over the world, and may all may the other countries, Lord, send missionaries and church planters to, to America as well. Lord, bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump right into things, you guys. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 2. Verse 18 to 22, and I'll start with reading it. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have a bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. 
No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So let's, uh, let's start taking this uh, apart a bit. Um, First of all, when we're talking about uh, these Pharisees, talking about Judaism, uh, the Jews, uh, there's three main pillars within Judaism. And the three were prayer, giving alms, and fasting. All right? So that's the things that they looked for in a good Jew. Those are the things that they valued, the things that said, this is, this is what makes a person a faithful Jew and in which they compared themselves to others is these three things. Did they pray and did they pray right? Did they give alms and they do it at the right time? Did they fast? Right? Now note, all three of these things, these three pillars of Judaism were all works. Every one of them. That's vital. Because as we see what Jesus unpacks for them, uh, he's, he's telling them, look, things are changing. The way that you look and think of, of what real religion is, real spirituality is, you base it on what you do. And Jesus totally flipped it and said, what real faith is about is not about what you do, but Jesus saying, what I do, what I'm going to do. And so it was, uh, you have these, these Pharisees, and uh, there, there are a lot of different groups there, there, of the Jews. There were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, there were the Herodians, there were the Zealots. Um, Jesus didn't spend much time with the Sadducees, the Herodians, or the Zealots, but he spent a lot of time with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not the political, political guys. Um, the Sadducees were. Um, the Zealots absolutely were because they wanted to see things overtaken. The Herodians, they were ones that were sellouts. Um, but Jesus spent a lot of time with, with the Pharisees. Uh, he, he was seeing a lot of times debating with them, and usually it's over tradition. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is more like a Pharisee than any of the other branches of Judaism. And the Pharisees that, you know, when the big wars took place around 66 to 70 AD, they were really about the only ruling power or, or power brokers within Judaism that, that really remained after that point and kind of carried on the traditions. But Jesus was absolutely more like the Pharisees than any others. But he fought with them a lot. He debated them because they had some core issues and some teaching that was, that was correct. But the way they went about it was incorrect. Their heart that was behind it was incorrect. And so that's what he took, took issue with. Now, in this, in this first little section, it says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and said the people came. And they said, why is it that you're not fasting like John's disciples? John, John was an ascetic, all right? An ascetic, most, most of y'all understand this, but it's someone that you make life harder upon yourself to try to, to, try to please God. Um, you, you, you add extra difficulty to your life out of devotion for God. And that's the way that he, he went about things. It's the way he taught, taught his own uh, disciples as well. And so, so John and his disciples were ascetics. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They both had difficulties because of those areas. They both had areas of where they, an ascetic would trust their works. Uh, a hypocrite, you know, like the Pharisees, they were trusting their works as well. And in this one conversation, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and he taught John's disciples. And there's a difference. The Pharisees he brought truth to them, and the majority of them, they rejected it. As he tried the same thing with John's disciples and, and others who were true followers of him, they would receive the rebuke, and yet they would repent, and they, they would change. So they, the Pharisees and John's disciples, they were observing a fast at this, at this very time, all right? Um, now, what this does is most likely this occurred in this the time frame of this last story that we, we dealt with um, last week, which was the calling of Matthew or the calling of Levi. Um, and if you remember, Jesus had this, he was at this big, this big feast that took place either in the home he stayed in, which most likely would have been Peter's, 
or it took place in Levi's home. Regardless, he had a big feast and you got Pharisees and potentially even John's disciples that are saying, look, we're supposed to be fasting and you're feasting. What's going on? God, God you, you know, you're, you're doing it wrong. What, what's the deal here? Now, biblically, there was only one required fast, and that was the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. Uh, Leviticus 16 talks about this. Acts 27, verse 9, talks about it and calls it the fast. So if you see that, say the fast, then that, this was talking about the Day of Atonement. And again, biblically, it was the day that they were called, called to fast. Um, as the history of the Jews unfolded, there was more, more fasts that were added. Um, there, were, there were those, uh, first of all, they fasted primarily from sunrise to sunset, uh, but there were fasts um, for seven days. There were some fasts for three weeks in Daniel. There were some for 40 days. Exodus and Deuteronomy, First uh, uh, Kings 19 talks about that. Um, and Zechariah 7 talked about fasts in the fifth and the seventh month. And Zechariah 8 talked about fifth, uh, uh, fasts that were in the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth month. But finally, as fasting continued to make its way into uh, the Jewish calendar, uh, it, the climax of it was when they started fasting twice a week. And this is what the Pharisees many times boasted about. If you look at Luke chapter 18, if you want to see that later on, where they're boasting uh, about that. Actually, let, let me read it for you real quick. Luke 18, 11, 12. We referred to this last week. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. So he's a twice a weeker, this Pharisee was, uh, who was boasting that he was more holy because of his works. Don't miss that. Because we've got that naturally ingrained in us to think that we're more holy than other people, that we're more godly than other people because we do certain things. Or the complete opposite, which is still a, a, place, a, a place of unbelief in, in the gospel, would be the place where we think we're less righteous, we're less holy, we're less godly because we don't do the works that we see others do. Both of those are misunderstandings of the gospel. One saying, I'm better because I do these things. The other saying, I'm not better because people are doing better things for me than me. Um, why, why were the disciples of John fasting? We're not, not sure exactly. It could have been because of his imprisonment, which was, should have been around this time. It could have been that his death has already occurred and they're in a place of mourning and fasting because of this. We're not sure exactly what it was, but they, they were fasting. Now, to unpack a little bit, um, let's go to Matthew six sixteen to 18 to talk about what, why does a person fast and, and how should they do it? How do you do it right and how do you do it wrong? Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, now stop there for just a second, all right? When you fast. So it's not if you fast, it's when you fast. So going into this, Jesus is not against fasting. Jesus teaches that we are to fast. But when you do it, you're to do it a certain way. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that, they, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Okay. As a kid, um, when, when I would do something, when I would do a chore around the house, I would usually do about 90 to 95% of it. And I would leave a little bit left undone so that the 90 to 95% would be recognized that I did something. Now, my, my dad had a name for this, and a nice way would be to say you're a half-butt, all right? Because you didn't complete what the job was. And, but that was the I wanted, I wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure that people saw that in my family, my mom, my dad, my, my brother, that, they, that I actually did the work. It's just something naturally within us that if, if we do something, we don't want people to miss it. 
We want to get some credit for it. And, and what, what's being taught here is that when, when we do those kind of things, spiritually speaking, if we're doing things for our glory, for other people to, sh- to see it, then whatever, whatever kind of recognition you get, basically God says, all right, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's all the blessing you're really going to receive for this. So even in fasting, don't be, don't be a half butt. Press in and do it so that God alone is the one that would see it. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, there's nothing wrong with regular fasting. Jesus didn't denounce it. He says that his disciples will do it. The main point of it, listen, of fasting and any other thing that you do is do you fast for forgiveness or do you fast because of forgiveness? Anything you do in your life, if you're, if you're reading your Bible, it's like, okay, I'm supposed to read my Bible uh, because it's just what good Christians do. It's like, maybe if I read my Bible, God, that's, that's God's going to be extra pleased with that and therefore he's going to increase my bank account. You know, he's, he's going to make this girl over here that she keeps telling me no when I ask her out. It does, she'll say yes, finally. You know, that you're trying to bribe God in, in doing these things, you know, or, or, it, or just the things like, okay, if I do these things, that's how I'll know that I'm a good Christian, that, that you're doing it for peace. You're doing it so that you'll accept yourself even. And God's, God's like, no, you don't do it for acceptance. You do it from acceptance. You don't do it for forgiveness. You do it from forgiveness. Fasting is a place of freedom, not of slavery. It's something that do not, do not use fasting in a way. It's like, well, okay, this is, this is my, my crowbar, my leverage point, you know, to where if I do these things, God's going to be obligated to do something. Fast without an agenda. Fast because God is good. Fast because it reminds you that when your stomach starts getting hungry, that God's designed it to where our soul is hungry for him far more than you're hungry for that food. Be free. You're not obligated. It's not a chain. It's a place of freedom. Verse 19, and Jesus said to him, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. They cannot fast. So Jesus, has, he's compared himself to a physician in this last story of of saying, man, you know, I've come for those that are sick. Those that are healthy don't need a physician. I've come for those that are sick. And there was an irony in that, obviously, that everybody's broken. Everybody needs, everybody needs help. But now he's painting himself as being the bridegroom. He's painting himself as the head, the head of a wedding party. And, and, and there's, a, there's a, one, one theologian said, the Christian life is a, it's a feast, not a funeral. And I... I kind of I kind of agree with that, but not entirely, because it's actually both. Ecclesiastes, and we walked through that a few months ago. Ecclesiastes said, I mean, there is there's a time to mourn, there's a time to laugh, there's a there's a time to, to dance, there's a time to cry, you know, there's a time to feast, and you need to know what your season is of where you are. And if it's a time that that you're to you're to fast, you're to you're to mourn, it's a time where where you're 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 contemplative about your life. A time in which you gotta you gotta dig in, and it's it's not a time for revelry. It's it's a time because the the, the time is very difficult, and so you, you plug in and you, you you grieve and you 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 fast. But there's also times for feasting. There's times to celebrate, and we need to we need to engage seasons properly. Um, the the original language in here. Talking about the wedding guests. I mean, this is a very good translation here because it would uh, it would say something like "sons of the wedding hall" or "sons of the bride chamber." Uh, it's not something that's exclusive. Saying, "All right," just talking about the groomsmen toward the bridegroom, but it's saying the wedding guests. Saying for all those that are they're invited, um, they're saying they're not supposed to fast while the bridegroom is with them. And 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 here's the thing. See when 
when, when we focus on our circumstances, again, how we look inward, many times we get, we get depressed. When we look at all the things that are going on, either that we're, we're doing bad, bad things happening to us, we can, we can get very depressed. But when we invite people to the feast of Christ, like Jesus did with Levi, maybe the night before, maybe two nights before, there's a joy that overcomes the circumstances that are there. All right? Guys, we're, we're, we're in a world that if we, if we understand the brokenness, the depravity of this world, you could live your life continually in a fast. You really could in a season of fast because life is so hard and it's so difficult. It's such bad news the way this world really is. If you look in the mirror and you're a person that you're not a believer in the deity of Jesus Christ and you're doing everything on your own, if you look in the mirror and you're honest with yourself, you're like, you're a bad dude. You're broken. You're a broken man. And we could live in just a place of of a fast all of our life. And yet what God's saying is he's saying, but but the thing is there's great, great news. In fact, it's the greatest of news, the reason where, where the word gospel comes from. The greatest news of all is in the brokenness, a place where everyone should be fasting. God has come, and so we can feast, even in the middle of the brokenness. I think there's just a, there's a subtle, just a nuanced um, truth that's, that's in the middle of this, that if we focus too much on our circumstances, we focus too much of the brokenness that's that's around us, we will, we will turn so inward, man, we will, be, we will be Christians that look like we're fasting all the time. We'll be people that we look like we mourn and we look like we, we're grieving because we're under the circumstances. And what God's saying is saying, look, I came so that you don't have to stay under the circumstances. You're still in the middle of them, but I have brought you hope. I'm with you. I'm the one that, that brings joy and brings peace in the middle of brokenness. And we're able to look at other people and say, and I invite you to the same Jesus. You don't have to stay in this place of brokenness. You don't have to be a person that, that, you, that you run to all kinds of vices to try to make yourself feel a little bit better for a short time in the brokenness of this world. You're not one that has to, to dodge or, or try, to, try to ignore what the, the problem is, dumb it down. But you can, you can accept it and you say this world is broken, but there's a God who loves broken people. That's amazing. It's amazing. We become people of invitation that we invite people to the wedding feast. Verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. He's saying they will fast. It's going to happen. This is a... He gives a, a veiled prophecy of his death at this point. He, he's, he's telling, look, the day is going to come, um, Mark 9, uh, 31 to 32. Um, he unpacks it a little bit more there. He says, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to, to ask him. They didn't understand. He said it was very veiled. Back here in this, this story, he's talking about fasting later on. He opens it up says, look, I'm going to be killed. It's going to happen. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. But they just didn't get it they, because they had different agendas uh, that were taking place. And, and even in, in uh, his statement there in Mark 9, it sounds a lot like Isaiah, which we're going to hit at the very end of this message here to see where all of this goes. Uh, Isaiah 53.8 said this, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, he was stricken for the transgression of my people. Now, what's interesting is that today is, is Pentecost Sunday. Um, Pentecost, which means the, the 50th day. Um, and it, it bridges us back to the day that, that the Holy Spirit came to the people of God, and he came, and at that point, he, he began indwelling all those that placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It was just a radical shift. Before that point, um, that the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody for, for a moment or for 
for days or weeks. We don't know for how long, but he didn't stay. There was not an indwelling of God that took place at that time. Um, and, and it takes us to Stephen to the birth of Jesus where he was, he was called Emmanuel, God who is with us. And, and this hope that we're talking about in this broken world that we're in is one in which we say there's, there's hope if there's an Emmanuel, a God with us, but there's even a greater hope if there's a God that's within us. The day that the Holy Spirit came, and at that point, began living in every Christian. John 16, 5 through 8, Jesus actually talked, talked about that future at that point, Pentecost Day. Where he says, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Kind of a fasting. They read it. It's like, oh, this is not, this is not good. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus said, look, I love hanging out with you guys, but you're not going to experience the fullness of what Christianity is until I go away. We talked a few weeks ago of how Jesus was, he was the, the prototype of what a Christian is to be. We talked about how he, in his the humanity side of who Jesus is, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit in a way that, that he offers us as Christians to be able to do that as well. God within us. When is the last time that you you actually acknowledged the Holy Spirit? When is the last time that you prayed to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's not a person, as far as not a human being that you pray to. We don't do that. We don't pray to saints. But the Holy Spirit is God. He's always been God. He's never created the Holy Spirit has always been with, with Jesus the Son. He's always been with God the Father. And He's within you if you're a Christian. When's the last time that you, you stopped and you said, thank you, Holy Spirit? When's the last time you actually prayed to Him and said, you know, Holy Spirit, I want to get to know you better. And, and, and if you're one of those persons and, and, and you want to do that, man, contact me and, and man, I'll be glad to, to help you, direct you towards some articles, some other places in Scripture, some studies to understand the Holy Spirit more fully of who He is. Verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. All right? So this is the point in which he starts to unpack what the difference is. What is it that's, that's changed between this whole thought of what Judaism is, and that's the real God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of Judaism. But they'd gotten off track where they trusted in what they could do for their righteousness. And Jesus is saying, I'm putting an end to that. Things are about to shift. Things are about to change. He talked about sowing, sowing this patch. And I mean, just practically speaking, you know, I mean, you've got, you've got a, a, your favorite pair of jeans and, uh, and you get a hole in, in the knee. That's where it happens every time. Uh, if you're one of my kids, that happens after about two weeks of, of wearing uh, your jeans. And they need a patch or you just leave the holes. And uh, how many of y'all, you grew up and you had a mom that would, that would sew on or iron on patches, to, you know, in your, in your clothes, all right? All right, some of us did. And uh, I don't know if mom ever, I guess she sewed a couple of times. I remember the iron-on ones. You know, and, and what would what 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 they would do, and, and usually it would reinforce the knees um, doing those. Um, but but what would happen is is that if you took a brand new piece of cloth that was brand new, never seen a washing machine, and if you put it on an old pair of jeans, that after a time or two of washing that, then that would start to shrink and it would start to pull away. And it would cause even more damage as a result of it pulling away. That's the picture that he's giving us. Is that's exactly what happened in those days. They had clothes. They didn't have as many clothes. They didn't have big closets like, like you and I probably do. So they had to take care of them. And so they had people that they, they were called fullers. 
And these people prepared the patches. And they made sure that they got the oil out and all the other things out. And they made sure it shrunk. And they did as much as they could to where when they would sew it on, it would hold their clothes together and not come off. Because it would be more like, more like that, that patch. Or more like the, the garment itself. Now guys, there's a picture Jesus is painting here. And, and we see this actually in the early church. The early church had problems because they kept falling back into rules of legalism and tradition. They, they would look back at, at what Judaism had been for all of these years, which was just a big pot of legalism. And they'd say, I'm going to pull this out of the pot and pull this out of the pot. And it was usually what made them comfortable or what made them feel holy, what made them feel godly. And they take it out of the pot and they throw it at a friend and say, if you're really a Christian, you need to do these things. I'll read to you guys real quickly from um, Galatians chapter 1, because in this Paul was dealing with this. Uh, Galatians 1, 6, 6 through 10. He's starting out the letter. He's just said, hey, this is Paul. Good to see you guys. Grace and peace. And he just jumps right in and says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him of who called you by in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not there, there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now listen to this last little part here. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Basically, he's just getting them ready and he's going to start unpacking to them to say, what you're doing is you're reaching in the pot. You're saying of this tradition and of this law and of this day, saying that, that if you're really a good and a godly Christian, you'd better be doing, be doing these things. And he's saying, that's a different gospel. You're saying salvation is grace plus, and you fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're comfortable with, or whatever it is that you think you're doing really well, that everybody else needs to do. And that, in and of itself, was like sewing a, a new patch on an old garment. Trying to put law upon grace is something that not only does it not cover up the tear, that given just a short amount of time, it's going to make the tear even worse. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what legalism does. It ruins Christians. It ruins it. Guys, you don't add to law grace. You replace law with grace. You don't add law to you don't add to law grace. You replace law with grace. The old patch, the the law, it doesn't work. It's worn out. And the new patch, grace, is what really works. What is it that what is it that you add to grace? What is it that in, in your own life, y'all listen up. Are you with me? What is it that in your life you're like, okay, this is what other people need. This is what I do and what I do well in my Christian life, and therefore, it's what all the other Christians need to do. What is the thing that you say, all right, this is what's going to prove to me, prove to God, prove to others that I'm a good Christian, I'm a faithful Christian? What is it? What is the thing by which you're adding to grace and you're changing the gospel by doing that? Verse 22. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Uh, this is pretty simple uh, as you view this metaphor. Back in those days, they would put, they would, for, for the process of making wine, uh, they would put wine into, into skins. And the fermentation would take place, and it would stretch the skins, and uh, you would end up with, with wine. And so 
what, what happens, he was contrasting the old way of, of the Pharisees and that of, of John with this new way of, of, of Jesus. Um, and what happens is if, if, you put, if you put new skin, new wine and uh, new grape juice into an old skin, if you put it in there, the thing is going to burst. And so you're no longer going to have the wine skin and you're also going to lose all of the wine. Now, just in a practical note to kind of unpack this, guys, Jesus is like the new wine, and we're like the wine skin. And the fermentation is it's like a change element that stretches the skin. Guys, God is sovereign over your life, and, and there's things that he commands that are difficult in your life. And there's things that, that he allows to come into your life that are also very difficult. He's sovereign over all of those things. And, and he wields them as change elements to transform you and me. And if we fight against God or if we try to rely on our own works, our stiffness causes us to break just like that old wineskin. What, what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives is he allows us to kind of stay like new wineskins to where we're malleable because there's lots of fermentation in this world. There's lots of stretching that takes place. There's lots of pain that takes place in this world. And yet, if we will be like the, like the people of Pentecost, if we will trust in the Holy Spirit, if we'll actually repent and believe the gospel, that we have nothing more to prove to God, it will allow us to be malleable and we will stretch as God stretches us, as he, as he wields these consequences, these circumstances in our life. And not only that, but what takes place is there's a transformation that takes place in our lives to where, I mean, as, as the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament talks about wine being a blessing. And we can become actually a blessing to others as, as God does a fermenting work in us, as he does a changing, transforming work within us as we're stretched it ends up being a blessing to others. And there's another just practical application to this is uh, that not all old wine or old wineskins in and of themselves are, are bad. Um, God is a pioneering God. God is a God that brings a lot of newness. And what's neat about this is that I mean, there, there is birth taking place all over this world, even right now. New people being born, new animals uh, being born. There's, there's new dreams that are being given to people, new agendas uh, being given to people, new, new vision for what God wants to do. God is a God that he births new things, births new vision. And, and part, of, part of what we need to do is we need to know, okay, this is who I am and what I'm supposed to be a part of, but we're always looking at how we can, we can encourage and empower those around us to follow God's destiny, to follow what God's dream is for them. And being a, a church that we value disciple-making, and we see that made not only in being a church, but in planting churches, we say, God, may you raise up church planters. May you raise up new churches to be, to be sent out in our own city, in our own region, around the nation, around the world, God, that we would say, Lord, help, help people to dream the dreams, and particularly when it comes to planting new wineskins, new expressions of, an, of a changeless God. And so we, we embrace that. We, we say, God, give people vision. Give people courage to be able to press forward with what the visions is, is for their lives. And, and because we, talk, we mean what we say when we say that every Christian is a minister and every Christian is a missionary, for people to dream the dreams of like, okay, God, me as an individual and, and, and us as a family. God, what does it look like right where we are? What are the dreams that you have? What are some new wineskins that you want to do in our lives, in our neighborhood, in our workplace? For you to dream some dreams, and I challenge you that you would maybe sometime in June that you take about two to three hours, just you alone with God and the Bible and the notebook, you just go and say, God, what do you dream? What do you dream for me? What is my mission field? Where, what is my ministry in the marketplace or as a student, wherever I am? What's it look like? Who are these people? And God, 
How can you breathe fresh life into what you want us to do and accomplish? I believe that even at the level of journey groups and missional communities to be able to dream together and say, God, what do you want us to do together as a church? And obviously as new churches are planted, just to dream God's dreams, to embrace that God is a God of, he loves newness. There's nothing wrong with vintage wine. Vintage wine is awesome. Have a good drink. But there's something great about also the new wine as well as God uh, gives birth to it. Again, guys, works. If you focus on works, that's what bursts the wineskin. Adding to the gospel. Adding to the gospel. Being legalistic. You can kind of be kind of on the John side of things to where you're ascetic. And, and it, you focus on what you cannot do. What you don't do is what makes you godly. Or you can be on kind of the prosperity side of, of things or uh, to where it's like what I, what I have to do, or even the pharisaical side of what the things that I make sure that I do, that that's how I know that I'm good. I know that I'm good. I, I know that I'm holy. I know that I'm godly because of these things. And, and, and you know what? It's very practical. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's probably a couple things that you've got deep convictions about things, and it's good. You need to listen. There's, there's, there's good, faithful, God-sent personal legalisms that God gives where he just says, I want you to do this. And it could be the way that you eat. It could be the way that you exercise. It could be what you read. It could be the music you listen to. It could be the, the car you drive or the, the type of school that you, you're, you want your kids to go to, whether that's um, my kids are going to homeschool, my kids... Uh, going. They're going to stay in the home school. My kids are going to a public school. My kids are going to a Christian school. These kind of things that it's, it's convictions that are on, that are in your life. And yet when we turn it outward and we make it a ruler and a place of judgment that we just say, well, if this friend in my journey group or in our church or this other Christian that's in this other denomination, if they would just do this, I would think that they're godly and holy. Shame on us. Shame on me. When I take personal convictions, personal legalisms, that's not broad-based by, by Scripture, and I say, you know what? These guys would be really good Christian if they would just do it the way that I do it. Shame on us. What do we need to repent of today? What are the areas in our life by which we add to grace, we, we add to just believing the gospel? Are, are works irrelevant? No. Is God interested in what you eat or what you drive or the education you have or, or what, kind of, what kind of education, educational process that you have for your kids now or some kids you may have someday? God's very interested in those things. He's intimately attached to all of those things. And you'd better obey what he has to say because it's for your best. Do what he says to do. Don't do what he says not to do. But don't be an ascetic that says, I'm I'm Okay. Because of what I don't do. Don't be pharisaical and say I'm okay because of what I do. Be a grace person and say I'm okay only because of what Jesus did. That is the gospel. That is the great news of Jesus Christ. Guys, if you get that, then you're going to get this very last part. Stay with me. If you get that, if you get what it's done for me, then you will really be freed to follow this last part. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 58, 3 through 12. Because this really reveals what this new wineskin is supposed to look like, of the change between a life of works that was just for that person to feel good to something that it was, it was, a, it was something that you invited others to and it blessed others. Just check this out. Isaiah 58, 3 through 12. Why have we fasted? And you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day... That was a question that was kind of being asked uh, of like, okay, we're fasting, we're doing all these things, and yet that's not what's pleasing you, God. And the response is, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Now, guys, put in, in... Instead of it saying fast, put in whatever that thing is. Whatever it is that you feel good about yourself when you do it, or you feel good about yourself when you don't do it. Put it in there. 
Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? And this is where you start saying this is what real fasting is. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? Now check this out. Check this out. When you understand grace, look what it does in our viewpoint of others and our action with others. Is this not a fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Listen to this. Man, when, when we really get grace, we invite others to it and we start acting upon it. Then your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, uh, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. He said, man, when you get it, when you understand grace, when you understand that I've done it all for you, you'll be a blessing. When you understand that you're blessed, you can't help but bless others. When you think you're at a blessing deficit, you become focused only on you and getting a blessing. Christians, you are blessed. There is no higher blessing than God to say, you're my son. You're my daughter. I've paid for all of your forgiveness because I put it all on my son, Jesus. There's no higher blessing than that. When we get it, when we repent and believe in the gospel, we can't help but to be a blessing to others. Now, we have to be careful. We've got to be careful because we don't want to then take that very same thing and say, well, okay, if I go do these things, then God's going to love me more. That's what the Pharisees did. We don't do good things to try to gain the approval or the forgiveness of God. We do great things because of the forgiveness and the acceptance of God. Let me just wrap all this up, guys. There are times to, there are times to fast, there's time to mourn, there's time to be sad, but, but the presence of Christ in our life trumps all. Even when you experience the worst this life can bring you, there is joy and peace available if you believe what Jesus did on the cross for you. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus has told us, look, in the middle of this brokenness, I'm with you. You know, He was saying the day's coming when I'm not going to be with you and that's the time to fast. And Let me just kind of flip that around a little bit and just say, Man, if you don't have Christ, if you're not a believer in Christ, you should mourn, you should grieve, you should fast in your soul. But I'm telling you, Jesus has come. Jesus is here. You don't have to be without Christ. And for those of you who are Christians, if you know, even in the middle of this brokenness, God is with you. And Pentecost, God is within you. That is unbelievable. And you guys, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this off for just a second. Um, I'm going to go get, get this bread.
If you're not a Christian in here, you've never surrendered to Christ, man, today is a great day to do this. A great day to say, man, I, I don't want to be on my own anymore. I need Christ. Surrender, even right now. Just say, I give, I give up. And, and if you do, it's because God has loved you so much and he's made that happen. Um, there's bread that uh, Donna had uh, Publix make for us, and this is actually a, called a challah bread. And it's what the Jews um, use many times in this, this feast, uh, which, which uh, we call Pentecost. And what's, what's neat about this bread is it is two braids, two different loaves. They're braided and put together to make one loaf, a figure of unity. And it shows the people of God, the Jews, and, and God who brought many of them to faith uh, through Christ, and Christians, that God has, has just united, united those, all those that come to faith in Jesus Christ together. Jews, Gentiles, all that place faith in Christ. That it's not about ed, one person's educational status. It's not just about one tribe. It's not just about, just not, not just about men. It's not just about women. Uh, it's not just about one eth- ethnic group that God has brought a unity together in the body of Jesus Christ. He said this in 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, <clears throat> and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In just a minute, we're going to pray. And those of you all who are believers, you can have the opportunity to come to one of the tables and pull off some bread and dip it either in the juice or the wine that's there and, and to take it. And I want, as you do that, I want you to realize that Jesus is the bridegroom and he's invited us as guests. But it's not even that. It's not just that we're guests, that he's brought us into the family. In fact, if you're a Christian, you're the bride. You're part of the bride. And so as you do this today, may you just know that God has created an incredible wine from his own blood that he poured out for you. And that is the wine that transformed you. His own blood continue to do a transforming work in you. God uh, bless us as we take communion this morning, uh, as we respond to the, to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. May you continue to do a transforming work within us, God. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen.